Welcome. Nice to be with you again. Good. Hope your week went well since we saw you last. It seems like a few minutes ago. And we're getting a lot of uh, comments and questions that Dr. Cousins and I will be looking at today. We'll try to inject a few minutes of sanity into the environment that we're living in now. And, you know, people are referring to it, referring to it as living inside a mental institution. And I'd say that's too kind. This is so bizarre that... Uh, even that analogy doesn't relate to it strongly enough. But we're still the same as we are uh, in any environment if we get back in touch with ourselves and we have a chance to not only restabilize and transform personally, but use that to affect the environment in a good way. So welcome, Dr. Cousins. Looking forward to the, the discussion today. It should be interesting. Okay, well, first, and I always like to start with a dance. And Richard, thank you. It's good. always good to see you. And Doug, thank you for getting this set up with this new way of uh, where you can see how to reach us. It's good. Um, so we'll dance for a little bit to get the spiritual joy going. That is particularly important in today's world as things are more than a little crazy. It's good to remember that spiritual joy that connects us to the one. And traditionally, I give a... a, a Meditation, very short meditation uh, explanation. And we repeat a mantra, which is usually the name of God. In this case, the name of God is grace. And if you have your own, you can be welcome to use that. You know, it won't hurt my feelings. But the mantra I was given uh, kind of in meditation after a 21 day water fast was yo, an in breath, hand out breath. Why an in breath, hand out breath? Yod from the base up to the heart, hey out to the heart. Wa from the base to third eye, and then again, hey out to the heart. And you just keep repeating it until your mind is quiet. Stop then, because you're in meditation. And then, so we're going to dance, and we do, uh, there's a process called interinclusion, where the energy comes to my eyes and helps awaken your spiritual energy known as Kundalini in the East uh, and uh, Rahakadash and the Biblical and Holy Spirit, different things for the same thing. Um, so let's get started with a little bit of dance and bring ourselves back into celebration so we don't forget the truth of who we are. Okay.
Okay. Now just focus on the energy coming through my eyes. Repeat the mantra.
And I welcome you all with love. And we're going to just have a little bit of good time. And thank you for joining us. Um, we really, Richard and I really want to, to share the, uh, at the deepest level for people. But before we go into a little bit deeper levels, we're going to deal with something that's a little bit more materialistic. And uh, during the week, people kind of have questions. And one question that came in was about oxalates. And many people don't know exactly what an oxalate is. Um, but it is a, it's something found in all many, 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 many foods Sodden spinach and caffeine type foods and sesame seeds and cola drinks and nuts and citric uh, uh, fruits and tomatoes and asparagus. The most famous probably is spinach and then Swiss chard and dandelion greens, cranberries. Um, and what the oxalates do is they form with calcium to make ox oxalates and they can make stones. Now, the question is, you know, is should we avoid all these foods, all these natural, healthy foods? And the answer is no. But when you cook the foods, um, the oxalates that have uh, absorbed the calcium hold on to it. And therefore, they can uh, um, block your calcium uptake. If the foods are raw, meaning uncooked, okay, you can warm a food, but you don't have to cook it, then the the uh, the enzymes in it then will allow it to uh, separate out and give you the calcium. If you really want to get real extreme, you take rhubarb, which is got a lot of oxalic acid and it's it's really only 0.1 to 0.12 percent of oxalates and you would have to have nine pounds of rhubarb in a, at one time to cause a problem so uh, that's kind of the answer is is that uh, that and the other thing you can do to further get out the oxalates is soak the seeds overnight. Soak the nuts and seeds overnight, and that will get out the oxalates out of it. So by and large, if you're eating live food, um, you don't have to worry about oxalates because they don't convert to the kind of toxic oxalate compound, oxalate calcium compound, as they do if the food is cooked. And you still have to eat a very big percentage to have any toxic effects. So by and large, if it's live food, there's no, you don't have to worry about toxic effect. That's really the answer. If it's cooked and you're eating nine pounds of rhubarb, then you may want to be a little concerned. 
Um, I'll just leave it like that. I was going to make a joke about rhubarb, and it does cause diarrhea. So most people don't eat nine pounds of rhubarb at one meal. So the answer is oxalates are not a problem in the vegetable world if you're eating them raw. Uh, Anything you want to add to that, Richard? Because uh, you came through with that. Yeah, Dr. Cousins, I thought that was good. Um, The question is, okay, so if you're eating a 100% raw diet, it's not an issue at all. And if you're eating cooked food, which most people are, then you're saying that within practical limits, it's also not an issue. That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. Thank you for summarizing. That's exactly what I'm saying. I think it's, it's kind of a scare. You know, people take these little details and they blow it up into a scare. Well, there's, and, a, there's a book that Dr. McCullough is promoting, and the feeling from the interview is really sincere. I, I feel like he was impressed with it, and it was written by Sally K. Norton, and it's called Toxic Superfoods. You know, a title to really get everybody concerned who wants to be healthy. Or confused because you're saying superfoods are toxic. That's it, the, it that's a, a paradoxic is not good for people's minds. It definitely gets people's attention to buy the book. And um, what it implies, basically, if you go with the logic of, of the premise, is that because oxalates are in almost all these plant foods, she even says in the interview that this... Uh, idea of phytonutrients is a myth and that because it's all connected with oxalates you don't need those and the ideal diet that has no oxalates is 100% meat and that's the conclusion yeah. she comes to for now, I, I just want to interrupt are you saying Dr. McCullough supported this book? In the interview he's <coughs> he's very impressed with it today, I, I can't say today but in the interview which is recent he liked it so all I can say is Dr. McCall is not an expert on live food. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to put it that way because he's doing a great job with the COVID issue. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm going to just honor that, but let's stay in your lane. Yeah, well, he's out of his lane if he's going to support eating meat like that. But, again, he, he doesn't have that. You know, he's still a traditional doctor, and he doesn't claim he isn't. He's just against what's going on with the COVID and the vaccine, or the, yeah. you know, the bioweapon vax. And that's great, but he needs to stay in his lane. He's out of his lane. He's going to start talking about live food and healthy food. He's obviously done a lot of um, really important good work if he's been banned for, and had to take down thousands of articles, you know, at, under threat. So, right. but the only thing is, he this is a new idea to him, and be, he's impressed with science, so called science. And yeah. this lady, lady Sally K. Norton is very, she uses a lot of scientific terminology, and it sounds impressive if you don't really know how to follow it. And she, they don't say give up everything but meat, but the the implication is because the carnivore diet, which is all meat, has no oxalates apparently that that would be the only way to be safe. And even a lot of raw food people are eating 20% cooked food, and it would cause them a lot of concern. Yeah, so this is my book, Conscious Eating, and I actually discuss the oxalate and phytate issue in it. Okay? Um, 
that was in the year 2000. So it's not like this is new information. Um, so my, my feeling is I deeply respect Dr. McCall for standing up strong with this. He's a cardiology and, and renal specialist with the relationship of uh, kidneys to, to heart. That's a specialty. That's a super subspecialty. And, and he's standing up. And I honor him for that. But he's out of his lane here. And people who are eating 20% cooked food basically don't, in most cases, have to worry about oxalates. Would you say that's true? Yes, I would definitely say that's true. As I say, it's a very small percentage, 0.1%. And you'd have to eat nine pounds of rhubarb. You know how much rhubarb that is? I haven't checked lately, no. And I... I, 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 rhubarb. With That's a lot of you just eat the stem, right? And it's always cooked. Yeah. It's a lot of rhubarb. So the point I'm making is it isn't really a problem even if you're eating twenty percent, you know, uh, of that. What about the people that are following the um, protocol of McDougal and the people who say to live on cooked starch? Is it an issue for them? Well, it's not totally clear to me what Dr. McDougall's position is now at this moment. Okay, so, you know, um, I know him personally. I know he's, uh, you know, I like a lot of his work. Um, I don't agree with him, obviously, around the high-carbohydrate diet. And and I'll tell you why I don't agree. Because it doesn't include that we have unique constitutions. So in chromosome 19, it literally says how much protein, how much fat, how much carbohydrate you should have. So I'm a person that doesn't need a lot of protein. And, you know, I do my thousands of push-ups and this and that, and I'm getting, you know, 10% protein. That's all I need. Other people need 15 or 20%, double that. So 75, 70% of the population needs a higher protein, which is closer to 10, 70 grams, and 30% need a lower protein, like 35 grams. And that's that's a genetic difference. So people need different things. So first of all, there's not one diet for everybody. You know, we have to be clear about that. Now, one thing I didn't mention about the oxalates is that people are having trouble with their fat metabolism that could aggravate, if you're doing a high oxalate diet, it can aggravate that if you have poor fat metabolism. So that's another little detail. But the, the big detail here is um, we are unique physiology, and, and so McDougall's pushing a high-carbohydrate diet, which is good for 30% of the population. Other it's, people, it's also a high-cooked food diet. Yeah, I think – I don't know exactly what it is. I think it's 20% live um, – you know, and yeah. and at the same time, it's a vegan diet. It is, and that in itself has helped uh, treat uh, cancer cases because he had did a lot of work with cancer. Yeah, one of the things that is a staple in the cooked starches diet is things like sweet potatoes, and those are used by a lot of bodybuilders too, and other people who don't want to get into too much starch. Yeah. Right. Uh, Sally K. Norton says sweet potatoes are very high oxalate. Yeah, but high oxalate compared to what? 0.1%? Not, 
Not compared to rhubarb, I guess, right? Yeah. The rhubarb is a big problem, you know. But, but what I'm trying to say is the words are deceiving here. Now, what's deceiving is saying it's high in oxalates. Well, what does that mean? 0.1%? Yeah, yeah, I don't. You know. see, it doesn't mean thirty percent. It doesn't mean fifty percent. It means pretty much food run from point one to one point two percent. That's very little, right? Okay, numbers were never mentioned in the interview. Yeah, well, but that's the point I'm making. That's how it gets way out of uh, out of kilter, right? So you know, so it's it's small percentage, but there aren't a lot of people that I see ever have oxalate problems, but you can have oxalate stones, and that really comes in. You can take ascorbic acid, that's not really vitamin C, but ascorbic acid, and have fat digestion problems, and have a really high rhubarb, you know, spinach intake. It's kind of unlikely in a way, but you can get ascorbic acid stones, but it's not... It's not a, a a regular kind of event, you see, if you get what I'm saying. Um, she said it's very dangerous to take vitamin C. Yeah, well, she's talking about ascorbic acid vitamin C, which does raise your oxalates. Okay. Uh, we have C, but they're not ascorbic acid. It's real vitamin C. The rutin and hesperin and the whole vitamin C complex Totally different. And that's how the language gets confused. Yeah. And so some, some like, like, you know, like if you're a cardiac, cardiac kidney specialist, right, mm-hmm. and you haven't really studied life food nutrition, you, you know, it gets confusing because you, you listen to the words and you think, oh, this and that. And then you already have your bias because you're not doing life food. You're not even a vegan. You're just against COVID vaccine. Right. So the main line food people at risk are the ones that are like planting a rhubarb juice fast and things like that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and have poor fat metabolism. Yeah. The other thing that you mentioned about studying people who study live food nutrition, it's a whole different thing to read books about it compared to doing it for a few years. Right. right. It's very different. So I've been doing it since 70, well, since 1980, 1975. So that's 25, that's 45, 47 years. The oxalates still haven't gotten you. No. You did eat some spinach, I noticed, right? I do eat spinach. I I follow the Popeye uh, regimen. Right, exactly. So I do lots of push-ups thanks to Popeye. Except you notice the one thing about what Popeye does. He, he A lot of times he'll eat the can top with the spinach. <laughs> you have to avoid that with the rhubarb. It, it just depends how much iron you need, you know, or tin you need to diet. Yeah. But yeah. Exactly. Right. Anyway, the point that in, in a more serious way is that we can take these words and create values to them that don't aren't really related to what's actually happening. And then it gets very confusing. There's a big danger with specialization, right? Yeah. So McCullough is great about the COVID, but please keep in your lane, you know. But I don't know what was really said. So I'll just let it be like that. Yeah. Um, But he's a traditional doctor, and I think it's fantastic what he's doing. 
standing up against the COVID, you know, uh, craziness. And so, it, it, so I, I have to honor him, but stay delayed, you know. Uh, so that's- and it doesn't mean not to expand your lane. I mean, all of us are trying to do that, you know, constantly learning more and getting more of the context and then changing what conclusions we come to if we have to. That's it. Yeah, yeah, but, but, but if you take a position of an authority, like you're, you're endorsing a book, that's more than staying in your lane yeah. of expanding your knowledge. So you want the disclaimer, like, this sounds really good to me, but I don't really know about it myself. Yeah. Yeah. That that's, okay. So anyway, that's the story of the oxalates. Don't worry about them, particularly if it's raw food that you are eating. Yeah. And, and don't worry about it if you're eating cooked food either, for the most part. Pretty much, yeah. Unless you have a fat metabolism problem. Now... One more little detail on that. You said don't, you know, cancel the rhubarb juice fasting and stuff like that. But what about if you eat a whole bunch of cooked spinach? Is that any concern? You know, it's a really good question. And my answer is you do one meal, you're probably not going to overdo it. Um, But I don't recommend just majoring in cooked spinach. You know, you want a little helping. I, I'm not going to say you're going to die from it. Or, you know, if you're going to have spinach, it's much better to have a little steam, you know, and, and just enjoy your spinach. Um, but you don't want to overdose in it as, as a general principle. Would that apply to the bodybuilders who are using sweet potatoes as their staple starch? Well, the interesting thing in sweet potatoes is they don't have as much carbohydrate as white potatoes. White potatoes are 100% carbohydrate. Mm. Sweet potatoes are much, much lower. And so there are other things in sweet potatoes. So they're not a, a super high carbohydrate thing. They taste sweet, but they're not the level like white potatoes, 100% carbohydrate. Right, but are they a concern if you use them all the time because of the oxalate? Um, if you're cooking them, I would be a little, just a little concerned because you're st- See, you've now added another level of question, which is a good question. And, and the question is, um, what's the difference between you occasionally eating a sweet potato, like how often do you eat sweet potatoes? I don't know. Once in a blue moon, right? Well, uh, some of the bodybuilders are using them all the time as their. Standard. I know that's where that's where I'm going. That's where yeah. I'm going. With it. So we have to distinguish between a bodybuilder who's doing excess to get excess. You see what I'm saying? They're trying to eat so simple that they don't have to think about it. They just eat the same thing all the time. Well, more than that, there's an excess concept there. You know, you're, you're focused on bodybuilding. You're not focused on your health. There's a very big difference. Yeah, they want to build mass. Yeah. So I, I'm just saying that I think when you do a, uni, uh, a diet like that or, you know, whatever they're doing, you're building your body, but you're not building your health necessarily. And I think that's the distinction I'm making okay. in, the, in this discussion. 
too. Because they take a lot of excess protein as well. Yeah, as much as possible. That's true. I mean, I don't focus on bodybuilding. My, you know, I hit my 2,000 push-ups at one time. I do my 900 sit-ups. I do this, do that. Um, I've gotten up to 100 pull-ups, you know, at one time, you know, in the last year or so. But the point I'm making is I, I don't do, like, lifting weights. I don't do these things. I just do things that my body is doing it on its own, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. And, and I think that's the safest way to go about it. And if people want to use a little bit of weights, like five-pound little weights to just add a little bit, fine. So uh, the, the idea is to keep in good health, keep in pretty optimal health, um, and uh, make it simple. So bodybuilding is in excess. You know, and, and longevity isn't about excess. You like calisthenics better than weightlifting, I guess, right? Uh, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. But I, I don't know, when I say that, I, you know, you're doing push-ups and you're doing this and you may jumping on the rebounder. It's simple mechanical uh, things, walking, that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's all good for you. You want to do those things. And then, you know, I slowly worked up, you know, at the end of a, on the sixth day of a, of a juice fast when I was 60, about 20 years ago, I, you know, I did 601 push-ups and said, well, that's interesting. I think I'll explore that. So I kept increasing the amount from 601 up to, you know, I fit 2,000. Um, and that's it. I don't want to go any further than that. You know, because it takes time and energy. But you understand what I'm saying. I am only doing it, and I'm just getting stronger in doing that, and I'm eating enough protein to support that, which for me is not that much because my body type. That calls into question all the standards that are in the books about how much of each nutrient you need and the macronutrient balance and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and I write about it in most of my books. The research at Stanford showed that the – Chromosome 19, there was a significant variance about how much protein, fat, and carbohydrate people need, and it was genetically determined. Right. And And the body has always known that, even if it's not published in the books. Right. So what you're advocating, too, is being in touch with the intelligence in your body. Right. And then I'm going a little step further. I have an interview. People get it at my website. Treeoflife.mn.co. It's called fast or slow oxidizer. And if you're a fast oxidizer, you need more protein and fat in your diet. If you're a slow oxidizer, you need more uh, carbohydrate and less protein and fat. And it's based on research that's done in the 1930s with thousands of questions. This is 30 questions. And it, it, it does sort out certain tendencies if that makes sense. So, like, I had somebody today as a client, and um, where I was doing the interview, actually, uh, on this topic uh, of, of what her body type is, her physiology, and she could go, like me, she can go four hours uh, without eating. I mean, comfortably, no problem. 
yeah. when she was doing a higher protein diet, uh, which really wasn't what she should be eating, she was having to eat every two hours because it wasn't actually working for her physiology. You see what I'm saying? So, yeah. so she uh, is what we call a slow oxidizer who really needs to have more carbohydrate, you know, complex carbohydrate, uh, fruits, vegetables, and things like that, nuts and seeds, and lower protein versus a fast oxidizer. When she ate higher protein, it threw out of balance and she had to eat more frequently because she wasn't getting enough carbohydrate. What was your comment again about going four hours comfortably without eating? Well, basically, people who are slow oxidizers don't need to eat very often. I don't get hungry. Okay, I have to kind of force myself to get a certain amount of food. You know, I have lunch. And uh, so a slow oxidizer doesn't really need to eat but every four to six hours. Comfortably, she can do. She can do that, and that immediately tells me that's her physiology. Is that she's a slow oxidizer, and she doesn't need much protein. She needs more complex carbohydrate, like fruits and vegetables. Right now, a fast oxidizer needs to eat every two hours unless they're getting lots of protein. Hmm. And and what about how often each one feels hunger? And that you know that. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm saying it is it. feels hungry more often. Say it again? The fast oxidizer feels hungry more often. Is that what you mean? Unless they're having adequate protein at their meal. Right. And and that brings up, you know, there's enough to talk about here for many shows, but it brings up one common question. Um, what's hunger? And the reason I ask that is because there are sensations in the body that people interpret habitually as hunger that are very often something totally different. You know what I'm talking about with that? Well, contraction, for example, in the, yeah. when it's starting yeah. to clean out a, a residue of things that's often interpreted by habit in the brain as hunger. And it's stopped. The contractions are stopped by piling food on top of it. There's lots of subtle things about it. Uh, we just got a kitten, and I think it has bulimia. Because you put any food in front of it, and it eats it in one second. Then it sometimes throws up. Okay. Now, I don't know what happened in this kitten's earlier life. We got it when it was three months old. But in other words, there's a lot of factors. I don't know whether he didn't get nursed or whatever happened. Right, so the emotions really have a lot to do with it. Too. That's my point, even with the kid. Wow. Pretty interesting. I, I'm fascinated. I've never seen a kitten be like that. Yeah. People don't realize the depth of being in animals. You know, it's, it's really yes. pretty incredible. They have personalities, and uh, people look down on animals in our culture because they apparently don't do, you know, complex equations in their mind and stuff like that. But in, in many ways, that's not necessarily a sign of deficiency in the animal. Animals almost never try to destroy the world, and humans have been known to do that. So, we, other, ways, other ways of evaluating. Yeah, there is this other level of the... Uh, Animals also don't fall for brainwashing as easily as humans in some ways. 
And I think before before we ended up, you were going to talk about some of that too. I just bring yeah. it up because our time is going very fast here. Well, I think one of the, the things that we're, we're looking at in the world is this this energy of of satanic energy. I guess we'll, we'll call it the Lucifer effect, and it's a real thing. So they did some research in 1971 with. Uh, students who were healthy students. They put some in jail, half of them were prisoners, the other mm-hmm. half were, you know, the keepers. It sounds and, like a Stanford prison experiment. Right? Yeah, but it's not. It's a, it's a different one than it was earlier. And what okay. happened is within five days, the prison guards began abusing the, the prisoners. Okay, They all were students to begin with, okay? And the students who were prisoners got into creating uh, barricades so people couldn't come in. And then, then they began sexually abusing them. This was five days into the experiment. Wow. They began sexually abusing them. And what we're looking at in humans is the tendency to degenerate. That's why we call it the Lucifer effect. To degenerate into you know, uh, treating each other very, very poorly. And that was the scary thing about that research is how quickly people degenerated and how they treated each other. So our struggle today is not to degenerate into the Lucifer effect. Uh, pretty much that's uh, like a, a, an issue of just naming it, but the research shows that. The research you're referring to was, you know, pain stimulation, but this is just generally treating and uh, literally they're sexual abusing the prisoners. And you're saying, what is going on? After five days. So that Lucifer effect took over. And that's the big concern in our society today is the, in a sense, the Lucifer effect where people feel it's fine to attack other people who disagree with them or whatever, you know. The uh, woke uh, community—that's a Lucifer effect that's going on because it's like taking it way out of proportion. Somebody disagrees with you. What's the end of the world? But right? you, you're trying to cancel them. It's like how woke is that? And these are the kinds of issues that you know earlier research shows humans have that tendency. Animals don't seem to have that tendency, as far as I can tell. Humans have a tendency to forget what normal is completely. And yeah. Yeah. And also our blind faith in authority uh, connected with the discussion that you were having before, that if something is in a journal or in a book or has fancy language that you can't understand, it must be amazing and it must be true. And in the prison experiment, you have the prisoners obeying and being uh, intimidated by the people who are playing the role of the uh, prison guards. and But the prison guards are also uh, blindly believing in their own fake authority. Right. And that's how you get in that they were literally sexually abusing uh, the prisoners. After five days that began. Right. They actually had to stop the experiment. It was just a two-week experiment. They had to stop it say five or six because of this story that happens. Yeah, amazing. 
Well, that's what we have to understand about being humans is the Lucifer effect is real. And while we encourage people to meditate and focus on the, the oneness connection that we all have and focus on peace, that moves it back the other way. Because we're talking about a world mind, you know, and a global brain. And the more people are meditating and creating peace, the quieter and more peaceful the global brain is. They did research in Rhode Island. They brought meditators in, and the crime rate dropped 41%, 43%. People said, oh, that's a fluke. So they came back the next summer, over a period of two, three months, and the crime rate dropped 49%. Crime meaning murders, car thefts, you know, violent assaults, you know, burglaries. Uh, so literally, people meditating a few hours a day uh, literally changed the, the energy of violence and significantly diminished it by almost half. That's really important. How does all this uh, Lucifer effect and insanity going on with the adults affect the kids? Because you're—I know we only have a few minutes—but you were going to say something about kids in today's environment. Well, I think it. Uh, the kids are affected. There's no way around it. When your quote authorities, your teachers, are you know having you like they're doing it in uh, certain places uh, in the schools public schools, you have to pick your your uh, gender at a certain, you have to commit to a gender five years old. It's like Kids are just evolving. They, they're not thinking that way quite so much. <clears throat> and there's a research at Johns Hopkins that shows that with gender confusion, by the time kids are, teens are 18, 97% of the boys go with being boy, male, male gender. And 88% of the women who had general confusion um, chose to be identified as a woman, gender. Now, this is a, like a 35-year study uh, at Johns Hopkins. So, you know, it, people aren't ready at five years old to pick anything. Well, you, know? you don't pick how tall you are. I mean, right. you, don't, you don't pick what nationality you are or what your ancestry is, or what your gender is either. I mean, if if that Johns Hopkins study was accurate, it's saying that millions of people don't identify with their current gender because 88% of women is not very much. That means 12% of millions think that they're not women. There's a problem with that, and I, I question that data. Well, I understand they were studying people who were gender confused. Oh, okay, that changes it. Yeah, I thought it was a general population. No, just gender. Yeah, so that explains why it's being outlawed to remind people that of their normal gender, because yes. a lot of them would would be receptive to that. Right. And I know I just uh, forced myself to listen to the State of the Union message that Joe Biden just gave on the seventh, and one of the things in the later part of the speech was to protect. Uh, transgender children from abuse and uh, make sure that they had all the rights of other types of children. And what he forgot to mention, and of course he's in a really compromised mental and emotional state and 
has been gone for a long time as far as the normal mental state. But what he forgot to mention is that there are no transgender children. There are children that are subjected to stresses like atrazine in the water and brainwashing in the television. But other than that, um, they pretty much didn't exist before all these things started ramping up. Right. Yeah, we created this for, you know, 5,000 years. We didn't have this issue. Now, I'm going to say Inanna, who was really from Sumerian times, was a transgender. What does that mean? That means that she could move from being a male to, she was a goddess. Uh, she could be moved from a male to a female, or from a female to a male. <clears throat> she could move back and forth. And so there are a certain percentage small percentage who throughout history have had that. That's why in the Bible says, you know, you're not supposed to cross-dress. Well, well you're I, talking about an androgynous astral-level being, right? Not a human. Well, yes. Like a, a, a deity. She guards a mythological deity. An yeah. energy. Who, who may have been, who may have actually existed. But, but if you're born into a physical form, generally that doesn't go back and forth. No, no. This is a, a, a goddess. A god yeah. and goddess. In a, right, right. It's an energy. It's an energy. It's a consciousness. Right, which is, we are that too, but we're congealed into physical forms for the right. moment. Right. right. But what I'm saying is these issues existed, but it was a very, very, very small minority, and it wasn't picked up as a as this is normal. No. It's like if you think you're an, another species, it doesn't mean that you're really another species. It means you have an issue with your, you know, integration with who you actually are. Yeah. And the current thinking that's being taught is if I think I'm a dog, then I'm a dog. Right. And anybody who questions that is being hateful. And that is played with words it is very, very uh, uh, bad for kids because they already have an imagination. That's part of what goes on. And But then to make it into a reality, it's like, wait, you're taking imagination into reality. This is a, a serious problem. Right. And the other thing is I think that people who have already had physical mutilation done to your body, which is called, uh, what is that, gender-affirming? Right. Uh, surgery. If they've already been assaulted with that, they need a lot of protection and help because that they're victims of a really serious assault. And what they weren't told is that there's a DNA coding for what gender you are that's in your cells. And they don't have surgery to change that. So the only thing they can do is make macro changes to your physical body by mutilation. And they can also do it with toxic chemicals. And people who haven't had that yet need to be strongly warned, you know, don't fall for that. It's malicious and it's false. And the authority figures, many of them, don't even realize anymore that it's false. They're so educated. And I've seen some of these uh, PhD-level people teaching changing genders of children. And they, I think they actually believe it's possible because they were taught that in school. And it's not possible. Right. But you can psychologically brainwash kids. Yeah. Yeah. 
And if you've already had it done, you need as maximum support and as much return to health as you can possibly get. I know that I'm, I'm in touch with some adult transgender people and a man, for example, who was convinced that he's actually a woman and had to be changed. There are massive amounts of drugs involved. And the drugs have, um, like all, virtually all other medical drugs, they're intentionally designed to cause harm in the long run. And they're, they do work. They do exactly what they're intended to do. And the problem is that if you're the victim of that, it hurts you. And you go through massive suffering. And in the environment we're in now, you have the additional concern that what if the drug that you're dependent on becomes unavailable, which is highly possible. There's so many problems, you know, and we know with the, the, the girls who have puberty blockers, you know, it's, it's affecting wow. their mind, it affects their brain function. Right. And it also cuts down the future population of humans, right. which is kind of an underlying theme. Well, there's multiple agendas, you know, we're kind of talking at certain levels. Right. Um, but there always have been people who were actually... <laughs> Even in Egyptian times, people were born with both sets of uh, genitals. So, but the rarity, it's not a majority, it's like a very, 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 very small percentage were mutants. Right. Yeah. I mean, but it's not exactly normative. No, and it makes your life much harder. I mean, I'm not saying that from experience. I don't think I've been born like that, but. Um, but that would be much harder, and life is hard enough anyway. So the people that are falling for this agenda and actually have these things done to their bodies, they need a lot of help and support. And it's right. being outlawed right now, but it needs to be. Um, right. Which is good. So what, what we're seeing is a push-up. Because, you know, if you're over 18 and you want to, do, or you're 21, you know, like old enough to vote, you're... You can you have some choice here. You're a five year old. There's no real. It's really child cruelty to be doing these surgeries with kids. Right, but as an adult, almost no one would make that choice if there were real informed consent. And one of the principles of medicine is that there has to be informed consent, which is not being done with any drugs right now, as far as I know, right. Right. and especially whole procedures. You know, yes, you can choose it, but here's what's going to happen to you. Now, do you want to go ahead? It would be a very hard sell. Right. It wakes you up out of your unreality. So it's hard. It's hard. But, But disagreement is not hate. You know, one of the things that's being done to twist language in our culture and most of the Western world and probably most of the world is if you disagree with the agenda, you're hateful. And you have yeah. to be sensitive. So I'm going to just ask you a question. I don't know anyone who believes that language. You mean that that's really hateful? Yeah. Well, we have a you lot of people. And you're close to life. Do you know anyone who actually believes because you disagree, you're being hateful? You know, disagree on some of these issues. Not in your own world. Not in my close circle, but I have run into people like that doing demonstrations uh, against uh, various things in society. And they are so gone, you know, mentally and emotionally destabilized and 
deep into the prison experiment in their real life that they do believe that anything like uh, wanting a country to have borders or wanting normal education or any of those things, that those are all hateful and need to be censored. They believe that. We're not talking normal here. I'm talking about your normal circle of people. No, the the people that I'm in touch with normally, no. They don't. Doug, what about you? In your normal um, circle of friends, and people think it's being hateful to disagree with something you're trying to put on us. No, no, huh? No, only only people who have really drunk the Kool Aid. Uh, right. You may see people like that on Twitter, but I don't know anybody in real life. Nobody really falls for it. At least not my friends. Yeah, so that's my point. So here's the three of us all having a similar experience, living in different parts of the world. And it's like we just don't. Buy the story. I don't know anyone that buys that story. The this TV, the TV personalities buy it. You know the. the I don't know whether they buy it or they're being bought by it. Yeah, they're yeah. just paid to say it, right? Yeah. So what I'm trying to say is, in reality, there's a reality test here that we really uh, most people aren't buying the story. Oh, I I do have to say one thing, uh, Doctor Cousins, and that's that. You know, I've been involved in the university world fairly recently, and that's a incredibly insane environment. And there are professors there who do believe anything outside the agenda is hateful. They really do. They're not close friends of mine, but I've encountered them, and they're really there. And they're paid to stay there. Yeah. But you don't know if they believe it or they're doing it because they have a woke mob chasing after them. Yeah, that could be. I don't know. But it's being taught in the universities. Right. But the it's question not- is, where at what level of the motivation? So that's what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. You know, people have a really strong subconscious motivation to not look at certain things. And if their financial livelihood depends on a certain misconception, it's really emotionally difficult for them to question it. Yeah. So that's that's kind of what I'm trying to say here is that most people, unless you have, you know, your life is at stake, you're not going to buy this story. Right, right. right. Yeah. I mean, I remember once as a psych resident, there's a paranoid schizophrenia who castrated himself, and people were totally freaked out. What he said is, you know, the the, the evil forces were coming to get him or were going to castrate him so he did it to himself first to protect himself. That's now, probably true. What? It's probably true. I mean, there are those entities that attack you and do things. Well, like I understand, but I'm saying here he is. He's in a mental institute. Yeah. Okay. People were totally shocked. The whole hospital staff was like blown out by the whole thing. Right. That is an example of what I'm saying where people are more at. Although this was a while ago, you get what I'm saying. People even were dealing with mental derangement. It was like, that's uh, incredible. And yet, we're, we're talking about today as normal or gender affirming. So I'm just saying there, there's a, 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 there is a, a Luciferian effect going on here where people are accepting yeah. uh, this stuff. But Regular normal people are are buying it. It's not the mainstream. It's not even the mini stream. Yeah, that's true. 
And and it's manifesting in many ways. And one is that um, the power structure is putting in power people who win elections who don't get almost any votes. Yeah. It just happened in Brazil, for example. Yes. Lulu. Lulu. Now he's wanting to uh, inject all children uh, with the with the bioweapon or they can't go to school. Right, and you also, it's totally free choice, of course, for everybody to decide, but you don't get your food money or your government pension right. or your Social Security or anything like that yeah. if you don't get yourself poisoned. So it's pretty amazing. you know. Anyway, so we are seeing the Luciferian effect, and it's, it's, we have to understand it's really part of human nature, uh, according to the experiments at Stanford. And do the best we can to create the global brain elevation effect with our meditation and prayer. Yeah, exactly. Okay, we got going. I guess we do need to stop. So I just want to thank everybody for uh, listening to us and uh, sending questions in and participating. And I bless you for a really good week of expanded and joy spiritually joyful consciousness and richard thank you and doug thank you it's always a joy to play with you thank you dr cousins great bottom line and you know really if you look at what's happening in the world right now it's pretty simple in a way although it's got a lot of ramifications and you have a, a complex network of mafias and that may be an insult to the regular mafias because it's much worse than that it's really dark energies like uh, the luciferian effect that gabriel's talking about but you've got this complex network of mafias controlling human activity in the world through the power structure through the political structure through the corporations through the media through the fake medical system and all that and on the other side of the equation you've got human consciousness trying to remember what's normal because our normal state is something incredible that most people would consider magical or unimaginable at this point. And then the contest, it's kind of like one of those old um, TV game shows, you know, like beat the clock. Remember that? Or most of you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Most of you aren't old enough. Probably it's, I think the host was this really uh, neat guy named uh, Bud Collier with a bow tie and, gave people bizarre tasks to do that you have to finish in 27 seconds. And if you do it, you win like a free refrigerator or a trip to Disneyland or something like that. And it was really exciting. All black and white TV a little bit after TVs were invented. And we're in a game show now, and it's beat the clock too. And it's before there's a nuclear war or a complete irreversible tyranny. Humans have the task, uh, wake up. Remember who you are, and not in theory only, but become it. That's the whole challenge. And the clock is running, right? They had a big clock on the wall and beat, beat the clock. It was high-tech. It was this white plastic clock with a red second hand, and it was about two feet across. It was amazing technology for the time. And that's what we're in, right? That's what you're in. And in the midst of all the entertainment and distraction and everything else that's going on, will you get the free refrigerator and wake up? That's the whole thing, and I suggest that we do it. 
And don't wait for a time when you're not busy or when you're not distracted or when there's not too much danger or anything like that. Um, we don't know when the buzzer's going to sound and we're going to be done with this particular opportunity in this lifetime. So we should do it now. And, and a lot of um, really ultimately the health programs that we're talking about and all of Dr. Cousins' guided fasting and everything on his sites, drcousins.com, treeoflife.mn.co, and what we're doing at Lost Arts Radio. It's really about consciousness. It's really about winning the game show, waking up before the buzzer sounds. And the reason to take care of the physical body is that it's tied to your consciousness. It's the costume that you're marching around in right now through your apparently solid physical life, but it's not you. And yet, if you don't take care of it, it drags you down, and it's really a lot harder to do the internal real work. So learn to take care of your body, but don't forget the game show task that you're entrusted with right now, which is to wake up to who you are. All of this distraction, which is most of life, aside, and in stillness, and what Dr. Cousins talked about in meditation, remember who you are, connect to it, and then bring that meditation state into every part of your regular life. That's the challenge. And I personally think you can do it. Um, however, you know, whatever helps you accomplish that, I suggest giving it top priority. It's the most service that you can do to the outside world. And look at Dr. Cousins' programs. Look at what we're doing at planetaryhealingclub.com, which is for the same purpose. It's just a supportive environment to help each other with waking up. And not in theory, not a new religion, not a belief system. It means almost unremembered in common times, but it, it's do it, make it real, become that, become who you already are consciously. That's the whole game show task, and I think you can do it. So use your time well. That's what's going on. The clock is running, and have a good week, and we'll meet you here next time. Talk to you soon. Thank you, Richard.